Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges that the retail industry is facing. From fashion, beauty and homeware, myself, Grace Hill, will be chatting to the leading experts in the industry to shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. So, Over the past year, we've seen a reckoning for greater representation and emphasis on self-care that have set the wheels in motion for defining a new phase within the beauty industry. According to the research firm Euromonitor International, the pandemic and wellness boom has fueled this growth, with the global hair care market growing 2.4% last year, reaching a worth of $79.9 billion. So today, as well as it's the end of AAPI month in the US, to celebrate, we wanted to educate our listeners on South Asian beauty hair care. That's why today we are excited to speak to the dynamic sibling duo that is Akash and Nikki Mehta, founders of Fabler Main. For those of you that don't know, Fabler Main are a modern hair wellness brand that is built on potent plant-based products inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Hi, Nikki and Akash. It's lovely to see you both again. How are you? Very really well, good. thank you. It's really good. Thanks so much for having us and for me to be back again on Unedited Podcast. It's a, it was yeah. a huge pleasure the first time. So to be back again is like a double bonus. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, no, thank you for returning. I was going to say some of our listeners, you may recognize Akash as he has been on one of our previous episodes. But where are you guys at the moment? What, what are you up to? So we're currently, we In actually Italy. just escaped uh, <laughs> London. We went to Italy for a bit of a business trip. We'll be Amazing. coming back in a few days. But uh, if that's the best thing is, is it kind of business trips and my sister is always also like a bit of a holiday because yeah. family bonding. So it's great. And we'll head over to the mountains mountains on the weekend how amazing (laughs) I love hiking yeah I feel like as well just to get a change of scenery (laughs) sadly no mountains in London right (laughs) no exactly (laughs) but I feel like so much has changed Akash especially since we last spoke right it was you know who knew that coronavirus was going to be a thing so how have you both been over the past year what have you kind of been been up to (laughs) yeah I think it's been kind of a big bit of a whirlwind of different emotions of course it's very tragic and sad what's happening in the world and that's definitely stifled some of our you know we had plans to travel and and you know, especially with our businesses but at the same time going to that business side of things has really made us focus a lot more on the business work a lot more as well and it's in a way kind of been a bit of a blessing for our Fable and Maine which is our, our Indian wellness brand because it's all about at-home rituals and as salons have closed and people are really going further yeah. into their well-being we've seen a huge interest in the business I can imagine and obviously you know I'm very lucky that I got introduced to both of you guys through our mutual friend friend Georgie and you've obviously been on incredible journeys with both of your careers across luxury retail and now getting to be kind of a dynamic sibling duo and you know obviously running your own hair care brand Fable and Maine but I guess for our listeners it would be great for them to learn a little bit more about your career backgrounds. 
Yeah, exactly. So I graduated, I was, I was with Georgie, obviously at uni and yeah. UCL and in Spanish and business management. And then, and then I know I ended up in the computer science course. So she ended up changing her course. <laughs> I, <changed it. laughs> I do still speak Spanish, but I changed to computer science. Gosh, that was like eight years ago now, but I joined our family business in fragrance. So mm-hmm. building premium fragrance brands such as Jean Patou, Worth Paris, so a lot of heritage brands and celebrity fragrance brands too. So I really learned the power of storytelling and marketing and working with some of the best retailers. And my my journey, I think, as I kind of said on my last podcast as well, I started on a very different route to Nikki. I, I studied engineering at university, but I went straight into the corporate world. I worked for Estee Lauder companies, well, first Burberry in an internship. I worked for Estee Lauder companies and then Dior in Paris for three years. But it was actually during my time at Dior, Nikki and I were sort of working in the kitchen, you know, thinking about this potential business we we're going to create together called Faber and Maine, which we can talk about in a bit. But it's, uh, it, you know, after a year or two of really working with the labs, we decided to leave our different paths uh, of yeah. careers behind us and work together to build and launch this. Must have been so exciting, right? Having the experience and the background that you both had to then, you know, kind of embark on that entrepreneurial journey and kind of being able to work together with that. So what led you to to founding your very own brand? Honestly, it was like a journey, I guess, with my own hair and, and self-confidence. <laughs> I had like three years ago, a lot of hair falling, falling out and like yeah. kind of affects your you know, when you see clumps of hair in the shower and then yeah. went back to the kitchen, I remember our grandma's recipes, like she used to mix coconut oil with ashwagandha and like massage it into our hair. So I tried and tested all these different herbs and could see over time the hair loss stopping. And wow. it was just something that we did always as a child, like growing up as a ritual. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to say, why is this not made into you know, we just saw a a market for clean, cultural and, you know, conscious brand. And why was this not done in a modern way for all hair types, you know, and how come everyone didn't know this Indian hair secret? So that was kind of like the burning, our pain point. And then my brother and I joined forces and came up with the name Fable and Maine and worked on this, you know, the whole universe. So, so what was the inspiration behind the name? Yeah, so I mean, Fable and Maine came around our own childhood memories. So our grandma used to come from India with mm-hmm. these incredible Ayurvedic plant roots and Indian herbal oils and make these, we would call them magical hair potions in the kitchen. <laughs> and she would massage these oils into her hair, usually at night. And while she would massage these oils on a weekly basis, she used to tell us incredible fables. So story time and hair care were really hand in hand for us growing up. So therefore... Fable and Maine, you know, Fable for story and Maine for hair came around. We wanted something that was very kind of catchy, easy to understand and, you know, for everyone to feel connected to because not only with it, is it familiar with Indian households, but a lot of other households or other different cultures and heritages. So it's something I think story time and, and rituals, something everyone can relate to, especially now with beauty. Definitely. I feel like, as you guys said, right, like even though coronavirus was a difficult time and a really difficult time for for business, but the fact that it was also a time to step back, take time back for yourself and how that's so important to you guys and and, and your brand. So as we kind of mentioned briefly, it's, you launched the business right before the pandemic hit in 2020. So I'm sure you guys have 
had some pretty major learnings, uh, like many brands have that we have spoken to. So how did your backgrounds in, in luxury retail help build this business during such a tumultuous time? So I think the the one thing is, is it was definitely a challenge. We had to adapt and be agile from day one. But in the sense, because it was day one, that was sort of like a yeah. blessing as well, because we could launch already with that mindset that this is going to be a more of a digital launch. It's going to be more of an online mm-hmm. presence as opposed to physical events and in-store being the main focus. So we we're very fortunate to launch with Sephora from day one. We were we we messaged them on LinkedIn a year ago to to launch and they were they were in love with the concept and we started building the project with them. So we knew from day one we would have a strong retail presence and therefore the acceleration needed to to be you know in the same kind of presence as them and to to give to that justice. However, um, one thing I think our my corporate journey has really taught us, especially me specifically was that digital side of, of the business. Mm-hmm. And I was trained in digital marketing for, you know, five years, six years. So it was sort of very native to me to think online first. I think that really helped the business from day one stand out strong on social with influencers and with our DTC as well. And Google ads. All that stuff, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like it makes total sense, right? That's your I, love, I love how Nikki literally just I say everything <laughs> and Google ads. I don't think she really understands what Google ads is. You can tell we have <laughs> our we have our separate remix, which makes for does. a healthy business. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, no. <laughs> Do have different responsibilities. So I mean that's that I'd love to know what, what kind of responsibilities do each of you have ownership over? Yes, I'm definitely more on the creative and product side. So like the branding, naming, all the products. All the products you see and the names and stuff, that's all Nikki. She's a creative genius behind the brand. She's a creative director. I'm the CEO. I'm more managing the day-to-day team, building it, getting the the financial planning, P&L, plus Mm -hmm. the digital side of things. So that's where my engineering with the math and finance with the digital side is where I kind of put my expertise in. But I guess both of you from... like, I know you're both extremely creative, but also, you know, kind of your computer science background, Nikki, and then your engineering <laughs> background, like both sides of your brains are <laughs> pretty Certainly. impressive to have the, the kind of combination of those skills. So now that lockdowns are easing in both the US and the UK, what kind of interaction and engagement are you guys seeing with the brand? Are consumers still interested in low maintenance at home hair care that was made popular during the pandemic? Definitely from the numbers and also just the, the the interest to, you know, we look at a lot of the, apart from numbers and analytics, we look at that intent and that's where we kind sure. of analyze our messages we're getting on email, on social media. We're seeing a lot of people definitely consistently staying to that kind of well-being. It's not, now become a routine. It's become mm-hmm. a kind of instilled mindset in the, into their daily life. We are seeing though a lot more of the shift starting with in-store presence, in-store store, you know, in-store sales are, are picking up. We're also starting to hopefully launch soon some events and pop-up events. That's yeah. like the first time in America we're starting with first. Amazing. But there is a still sense of uncertainty. There is a still a sense mm-hmm. of we're not putting all our eggs yet on these baskets that we haven't yet tapped into because we're not sure. You know, even though things are, you know, now we're also hearing there's a new variant and stuff. We're, yeah. we're still going to be agile and smart because unfortunately, when, when people don't realize with beauty businesses and, and most businesses is, things take a lot of planning. You need to plan months and months in advance and put deposits in really early on. So, you know, I'm already, we're already planning for next year's launches. And if we're going to do an event, a pop-up event, we've got to think about it six months or four, four months at least before. So that's why it's a little bit risky to like start putting deposits in for a big amount and yeah. then not having to change it last minute again. Very uncertain. Yeah. yeah. 
Totally. And I guess that takes a lot of time and energy from your guys' side when actually, until you have more certainty, you want to be focusing on those, focusing on those elements that you know will be able to execute and, and kind of exactly. have an impact, hence the kind of digital side. I guess also really exciting for you both where you have been digital first for kind of the first year, really, mainly of your guys' brand's existence and like what the potential will be for your business when you have more of that omni-channel approach and multi-channel opportunities, I, I guess. Um, and the great thing as well is, is because we're a hair care brand, I do feel we don't necessarily need to have that same, uh, compared to other beauty pillars of like, let's mm-hmm. say fragrance or makeup where you really want to, or skincare, when you want to see the efficacy, you want to touch it, you want to smell it. With hair, usually people can really buy into transformation, storytelling online, and mm-hmm. then they don't really go to a store and like, you know, need to smell the shampoo or, pick yeah. it up and try it on and lather it. So we're quite fortunate where we can be very digital first and, and even have a successful business just in this pillar. And I think because mm-hmm. it's growing so quickly, exactly to your point earlier, it's been quite interesting for us to like decide like, you know, if we have any of these funds, do we accelerate even further our digital presence and do more ads and more influencers and more social media expansion or virtual events, you know, and get more people around the world? Or do we do a localized event, you know, for 20 people that look cool, spend a lot of money, but only like few people can enjoy. So it is sort of like maybe the whole industry has shifted and what was normalized before is actually not what we shouldn't do. We should be doing like catch up and forward thinking as opposed to going backwards, but maybe, you know. No, definitely. I guess it's, it's the opportunity to try different things, right? The kind of the rule books you've thrown out the window and it's time to, to break those barriers and, and try something something new. So Akash and Nikki, I know obviously you guys are only one year into kind of launching the brand, but you've not only launched in the UK and the US, but you've also launched in other European regions too. Can you tell us a little bit more about the learnings that you found there and the nuances across, you know, over the past year with different rules, regulations and and, and cases with coronavirus? Yeah, so with us, it's kind of been a very interesting journey because we started with the biggest giant in retail, which is Sephora. Yep. And most uh, beauty brands, especially the ones starting out, would say, you know, you're, you're, you're daft to go out of Sephora. Just focus on that for a couple of years and nurture yep. that relationship. And USA is a, is a huge market. Mm-hmm. I think we've always been, you know, as I, my sister said before, with our father being in the beauty industry and we've had that international mindset from our father, but also from us being travel addicts and seeing the world. and Yeah. No, with social media, you can't limit who sees your content, especially with influencers, especially with you know viral content. And from day one, we went viral on TikTok quite early on. And we saw a lot of different types of countries and different types of people from all over the world asking for the products. And I felt like, you know, if we can expand, obviously there are some different difficulties, but if we can, we owe it mm-hmm. to consumers around the world to give access to this product so that's why we kind of went in different we were like no let's go as to the main markets internationally you know especially europe uk and and we definitely want india as well and asia but then with coronavirus there are further implications that i think are really difficult to to launch at this current time with trade restrictions etc but what we what we found the best route was going with trusted retailers in those divisions so while we tried to get d2c strong and ship into this market we're relying on relevant retailers with the expertise, with the whole trade, legality, import, tax, et cetera, 
to help us as a new business to get that footprint. So we're really proud to be at Boots in the UK and Ireland. We are in Douglas in Germany, Netherlands, Austria and Poland. But very soon we'll be hopefully launching in new retailers like Sephora in Europe, uh, Douglas, and maybe an online retailer too that (gasps) you'll play that you would know very, which is very excited about. Oh my gosh, so so many exciting plans to look forward to. I guess I'm curious, like you mentioned obviously going viral on TikTok, like what regions did you see interacting on that platform or consumers in those regions that you maybe were most surprised about or excited about? Yeah. I mean, honestly, every region you could think of, that was the crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we had the main markets, which we have, but you know, I've, even today, I still see Iran, Peru, um, wow. South Africa. I see, you, you see countries all over the world and it's such a you know, I kind of wish there was a company, maybe it's another business in one, one day in the future, like someone who <laughs> can help FMCG goods expand globally very quickly, you know, because if you've got the stock sitting somewhere, is there someone who can just say, look, I'll get it all over the world for you without all these shipping costs and tariffs and duties and sending it back and, you know, all this stuff. It's a very hard feat, of course, but it's such a shame that people, especially during a pandemic, when they can't travel in any way, go to Sephora in the USA during their trips, they're stuck in their hometown and they want yeah. to get products and they can't get it anywhere. And some of these people are willing to pay whatever. They don't mind paying yeah. the shipping cost just to get it. And if you can't deliver it, you feel guilt. So it's definitely been, especially with India, as we are an Indian heritage brand, you know, we, we it's yeah. our main mission now to get live there with a big retailer, which we're working with right now. So It's really interesting you actually mentioned that and the logistics of connecting FMCG brands with a different set of consumers and how kind of just the generally the logistics behind it can be really what's what's stopping it. A friend of mine runs a company called the Baobab Network and he invests in African startup and scale-up businesses. And, and one of the businesses that they invested in at the start was a logistics company in Nigeria. Nigeria and helping mm-hmm. FMCG brands connect with mama and papa shops and how that has just exploded as an opportunity. And I, I think it just demonstrates, right, that there is so much opportunity in that space in, in connecting different consumers who may not have previously had access to those certain types of brands. I guess like you've obviously mentioned working with Sephora, Boots, like the biggest beauty players in UK and the US markets. What are kind of the benefits and opportunities of having those partnerships, would you say? I think it's amazing real estate. Like they just have such good connections to people. And also I think they just have an incredible opportunity to scale an amazing database Mm -hmm. of, of consumers especially for a new brand and they know how to support founder led brands. So really the best partner. And it's a, like I've said, it's a vehicle to launch globally. I feel the rest of the world kind of still looks up to the U S in terms of trends and it, it helps, Sephora, yeah. especially Sephora and it helps mm-hmm. open doors retailers. They kind of come to us. I, and the thing is even saying the word retailer, it's actually very odd because even we feel internally like it's not really a retailer. We call them a family because they truly are. They've really helped us build the brand. Mm-hmm. We go with names and they give us feedback. We send them samples before we even show if we like it. And then they give yeah. us They're really uh, an extension of the team. And we work with many other retailers around the world. And there's no one truly like Sephora, truly, truly speaking. 
Yeah, I can imagine. It was, you know, obviously a cash thank you for, so much for your connection to to Julian, who is the founder of Adra Beauty. And, and she was talking a lot about Sephora and the opportunities that it's led for her business. And it, it sounds like a fantastic partnership. And it, as you said, almost like having those trusted advisors, you know, the fact that they've worked with hundreds, not thousands of different brands during their time and, and, and really are experts in, in that field. So I guess in terms of the beauty we we know we've seen in the past decade the popularity of many east asian beauty regimens seeping into to western culture most notably k beauty in recent years so how did you guys identify the gap in the market for more south asian beauty products i know you'd mentioned obviously your your family connection and, and your upbringing but how did you kind of realize that this was something that wasn't offered Yeah, it just really wasn't there. Like there was either Ayurvedic side, but it just wasn't done in a very modern way and really hard to understand. You know, there were some brands like Avida, obviously, which is from Mm. Ayurveda, but I feel like they've drifted away from what the core was, which was, which was Ayurveda. So we just saw a gap for really good products at a really affordable price as well, for Mm. premium hair care. Whereas you would have like oils and stuff at mass market level, like four pounds, five pounds, but they would just not have the modern science. You know? But I, I also think like some of these brands that like Nikki's referring to, they were just staying within the realms of India. They were in the retail shelves there. They weren't breaking through to the right. You would, yeah. you would still not go to Boots and found a South Asian drugstore brand. No. You wouldn't go to Boots and find a South Asian premium drug. But in India, brand. they work so well, obviously. And and, and we would stock up in India, you know, and we would, from, yeah. we would go to India and stock up on like, all these why products. Why was this not available in the rest of the world? Yeah. yeah. Then we were like, we'll be the, we'll, we'll, we'll try to be the first. And, and actually, you know, going to Sephora as one of the main point, you know, as we keep on saying, we, you know, probably a few people get, we get paid by them because we love them so much. But, <laughs> but honestly, we're the first Indian hair care brand that they've ever launched in Sephora. And yeah. the first sibling founded brand, which I don't know if that's uh, something, a uh, reason why, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's true that we're, we're glad, glad to be the first to carve the way for more South Asian brands. Definitely. And, and tell us a little bit more. I know, Nikki, you mentioned your experience and like obviously mixing different herbs and kind of trying to find what was working for you and what was having the greatest impact. But what are some of your core ingredients in your products, but also the process that separates South Asian hair care and beauty products from other brands and rituals that we may be more accustomed to in Western culture? Yes, I'll focus on the hair oil because I feel it's our hero as well. So we have ashwagandha, which is a strengthening adaptogen. So it kind of adapts okay. to your scalp's needs and it means strength of a stallion. So it's really good for strengthening hair mm-hmm. as well. But what makes Indian hair oils different to normal hair oils is that they're herbalized. So they're cooked for like eight hours on low heat and then herbs are added in and simmered and they're left overnight, then cooled down, then applied to your hair. So it's almost like how you make, you know, a really nice in, in India, Northern India, they make a black dal and they like they, yeah. they put it on the stove in the in the clay pot overnight and it gives you that really earthy taste. In a similar way, like how you cook, they they literally cook these herbs in, in coconut oil or sesame oil and fractionate it. And there's a specific way, specific proportions, and they balance it. And of course, you know, in the factories today, they don't make it like that. So it's, yeah. it's, that's what makes them so special because they absorb all the nutrients and they hold it in. Otherwise, we we lose all the goodness. So there's a specific way to make Ayurveda and, and I'll concentrate. Hopefully we'll bring that out in a few years because it's really bringing consumers back to the 
to the product. And I think another thing I would add as well is a lot of South Asian, you know, I, I'm very familiar with K-beauty, J-beauty. Yeah. A lot of very diverse beauty um, kind of now coming to the forefront with market, which is really great. But I also with South, with, with Ayurveda, especially, you know, it's a 4,000 year old science. So I do think it's one of the most, old, you know, the, the oldest rituals and that have been passed down by generations, which mm. often do tell something because there is a reason why they've lasted for so long and haven't kind of, and actually in this authentic roots, it hasn't really adapted too much. It's really what it was, is really what it is today. And that's mm-hmm. the best part. But I also think alongside those past traditions, you have two key tethered points that make it so different. One is the vast encyclopedia of Indian plants and ingredients that are normally rooted within the climate and the landscape of India as a territory is number one, where you find most of these during in, in this in this country. But the second thing is the fact that you mixed it with, as Nikki said, the, the processes, but also with the ritual. So once you've got the thing, it's really about the massaging, the meditation, the mindfulness, that 360 holistic belief, because that's also what's tethered to Ayurveda, which means Ayur, you know, and Veda cup means that <laughs> we had this whole thing before that we I okay so Ayur means life and Veda means the science or knowledge. But we did a live stream before and I said that and Nikki was like, no, 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 no. Veda means this and Ayur means this. And I sat there and I was like, no, 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 it's not. And then we were literally live and I was like, I was right, thank God. But um, we have to bring it up all the time. Yeah, just so once you make a mistake live, you won't make it again. So it's even we forget sometimes. But basically, the knowledge of life or the science of life. So it's that three sixty holistic root of of how, yeah, how you how you work with everything. Exactly, and and like as you guys said, it's like the ritual of it and how that speaks to the the holistic approach. And I know that's something that's really important to your guys's brand. So, what would you say for our listeners? Like the core principles that they need to understand about Ayurvedic hair care, or just kind of practice in general? Would you say so? Hair oiling, which is sneha, which means to love and to oil your hair. So, the the act of massaging your hair, like pre wash uh, as a treatment, is really good right. because. In Ayurveda, we believe our hair and our whole body is an energy system, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think of your head as a plant, right, and your roots are at the top, the more you nourish it and hydrate it with oils, the better your scalp will be, which is like, which is skin. Mm -hmm. And a good scalp is a foundation for healthy hair. Well, I was going to ask about scalp care, but I guess before I get onto that, right, I feel like there's this myth of scalp and oils and contributing to greasy hair which I know is a is a huge thing we we do produce natural oils right so we don't want to clog it but that's why a pre-wash treatment is only designed to be left in overnight or an hour before washing you rinse and then you you shampoo and cleanse you know as normal but for sure like you shouldn't put too much oil in your hair because it can Mm. you know you don't want to clog it and that can lead to build up but you shouldn't have any silicones because that will not penetrate or just coat so that's why yeah. it's really important if you use hair oiling, it's herbal and not, mm-hmm. not loaded with silicones because that can lead to damage. And also I would say, yeah, it's just the scalp and everything. You just have to think of everything holistically, you know. And, and we forget like, like, you know, the scalp is your skin and you put so much effort, usually people on your, your face and you know yeah. your neck and your body. And we also put effort on our hair with, you know, yeah. styling products and stuff. But what about that skin that lies under the yeah. hair? Scalp is getting a moment now. I think for the last few months, it's been a year. Yeah. 
been really a big thing but still people are worried about it. like i've got itchy scalp i think i've got an itchy scalp i don't know if it's irritation they've got sensitive scalp but the, but the the thing is what's really important is why we always go back to this hair oiling is hair oiling is honestly one of the most perfect remedies with, with the an oiling meaning with the massage right because it basically rejuvenates the scalp and it really restores the balance that the scalp needs because it's like a roller coaster you know it's 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 it, blood it, cir- yeah, but it but will it, go back it, again yeah it enhances blood circulation oxygen oh. to your brain so that's that's the main thing but oxygen but, nutrients, yeah yeah but the but the main thing is indian hair oils and ingredients have ingredients which are great for oily scalps and itchy dry scalps such as neem Bringraj, amla, which is a very potent form of vitamin C, which is the Indian gooseberry, and the neem leaf, which is antifungal and anti-inflammatory, like turmeric. So these are fantastic if you have oily scalps. It's actually a remedy, even though it's an oil form. Yeah, that's I mean, it's so interesting, right? And like, and as you said, Akash, like the scalp is having a moment. I think Cult Beauty saw a three hundred and thirty percent increase in sales of scalp care care products. Like, why why do you think that now is its moment, and why is it coming to focus? I'm going to give a span in the works. I think it's to do with TikTok. I honestly think <laughs> it's the fact that scalp was always essayed or very complicated. Mm-hmm. And what has happened now is this ephemeral content of TikTok and the reels and stories. People are educating people on scalp health and scalp care so quickly, so easily in a very simplified mm-hmm. way that I never had it before. And it was me educating when I was looking at scalp videos and TikTok. And also sometimes, you know, seeing like the scalp of cameras and you see how bad it is before and after mm-hmm. you start realizing it and people are not afraid now anymore it's not something that's oh it's dirty i don't want to talk about scalp yeah, 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 yeah. it's getting a I moment know. of it's you know proud to talk about your scalp it's a, but I, don't, about your skin. I don't think it's like just tiktok it's like for a lot of people who aren't on tiktok but know about scalp care it's exactly what i said it's just the how we used to be scared of putting oil in our body or didn't know about exfoliating our body or like mm-hmm. all these things and our scalp scrubs. We're just thinking of our scalp differently and different targeted concerns. And that's what's going to happen to the future of hair. Absolutely. Wellness is becoming part of it. And you're going to look, you're going to think, oh, actually my scalp is quite dry. Do I need a scrub? Or if I have an oily scalp, do I need like a clay mask? What should I be putting? And I think it's the brands that are also pushing it, right? It's yeah. the beauty brands that are creating more scalp care ranges that are also then pushing the messages to their existing audiences. So someone who's bought them from the shampoo or the oil, and now I've seen, oh, they've got a new scalp range. Oh, they've, you know, I love the brand. Let me try the scalp range. So they're also the influencers in a way too, right? These brands. Definitely, definitely. And as you said, the health benefits that that brings and kind of just the fact that we're educating ourselves, whether that is through TikTok because you've got digestible content that's easy to access or whether that's the fact that you've got brands like yourself who are talking about it and talking about the you know, the benefits that that will, will give you. But as you guys are experts uh, in the industry, I'd love to know from your perspective, are there any big trends within hair care and the wellness market that our listeners really should know about? I think definitely one of the biggest trends, well, I think we already spoke about it, is scalp, scalp health. Yep. Yeah, that's number one, I think, right now is, is definitely the one that they're talking about. Then I think it's about understanding the different types of hair in the market and how you have textured hair, afro hair, you know, you have the thin hair, flake, all those types of different types of hair, I think is super important because even though we formulated our products initially, our first range to be for all hair types, because that's led on the ingredient side of things, we are obviously going to be creating more products for specific hair types because not one 
kind of product can fit all sometimes in the future. So I think that's something that it's very interesting to know it like from a, like my dad always talks about DNA, right? And I think the future of beauty will always be on this fact of you need to have something a little bit more personalized to you because it's not like if it works for someone else, it might not work for you. Even if you look like you have same hair, your DNAs are different, right? So I think that's something I think is going to be a bit of the science side, the next trends. I think skinification of hair in, in one mm-hmm. sentence and on the wellness side, supplements. And one balance. thing we realize is um, with the microbiome, your gut health is mm-hmm. how that so connected to everything like you could have yeah. a blocked ear, ear and you're always thinking your whole life is to do with an like a, a allergy or something but it's actually your gut or something yeah. is not going with your gut and I think that whole thing everyone says I'm bloating I'm bloating it's like you know, it's probably just your gut's not going well with something that you're not having any intolerances no allergies it's just your gut yeah totally so, yeah. I think it's interesting it comes back to kind of that whole holistic thing and like how everything is connected and i, I would advise everyone to take like there are like there are one company called viom v-i-o-m-e so defend yeah. about others and you can get a test where you send a sample of your stool and you literally will get a yeah. full list of in an app of what you should avoid what you should encourage oh. eat more of and it's i've done you know allergy tests i've done yeah tests and this is something like you know they had mango on there which i eat all every day and it was so interesting to see what's not good for my gut. So I think microbiome tests are the future for everyone to try. And it connects to the beauty regime, the hair, it connects to Did you say it was Viome? Viome, V-I-O-M-E. Oh my goodness, I'll have to check that out too. (laughs) But I personally saw this and was really excited for you guys because I feel very emotionally invested in the brand. Uh, (laughs) But I saw that Kourtney Kardashian obviously featured Fable and Main products in her poosh bundles. Could you kind of, and I know Akash, this is, a huge part of your kind of experience and career is influencers. But could you talk us through how you've worked with influencers and, and what your guys' strategy is for Fable and Maine? Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely, we, we do have that tiered approach of like working with all types of influencers from all different yeah. platforms and all different sizes. So I think our strongest community and our most kind of, I would say the one that we're nurturing the most is, uh, the, is the nanos, the content creators, the micro-influencers. These are the ones that are, you know, giving reviews of the products, trying it before it goes live and giving authentic testimonials and feedback while creating beautiful content. Then we definitely work with the micros and the top tiers on the more of the sale driving initiatives, case by case, someone yeah. in a long-term ambassadorship, someone just, uh, you know, kind of lets us test and see how it goes. And then obviously we've recently been doing quite a few exciting one-off moments when they come to us with the bigger players like the Kardashians. And we're very push <laughs> bundle. She actually uses the hair oil quite a lot. So she loves the, the, the Fable Main hair oil. So it was really nice for her to, to want to include us in that, in that kind of push bundle. And then we have, of course, uh, lots of different things are coming our way. We've been contacted by TV shows to film sets. And it's just so interesting to see. And we're trialing everything. But the best yeah. thing that we've done, I think it comes from my, my expertise of experience of seeing it all, is mm-hmm. building that authentic relationship. So me and my sister will go on Zoom calls here and there with the, with the influencers. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to know them. We'll, we'll, we, work, we don't want to do this blanket like, here's a post. Here's some money. Please yeah, do this, send you know? it out. And yeah, we, we actually that. rather, we actually even encourage it. First, can we just send you the product, see if you authentically love it, and then we can discuss going further. And I think that's really helped right. us. And I bet it's great for them as well to hear your story firsthand and, and kind of the passion Definitely. that you have for it and and the journey that you've been on because it 
it's it is so authentic right and I think that stands for for so much I definitely think like the micro and nano influencers also have so much leverage right because it's not always you have to work with like the people who have 10 million plus followers and and often you'll be surprised the ones with the smaller followers will do more business impact for the brand anyway so (laughs) so it is really about test and learning it is a little bit like difficult for brands today because the influencer piece can be very tricky there can be some influencers who just want monetary benefits and don't want to care you know will post as matter what the product is there'll be some that we authentically like i don't want money but i just want to love your products and you get some in between and i think it's hard for a brand because that you know they can't you know it's not it's a full-time job just to do influencers and then how to how to make it work and some brands who are wanting to do it feel there's no ROI and they're losing money some brands are based the whole business model on influencers so if a brand is listening or anyone a startup I would just say spend that time to nurture your audience it's not a race it's not about doing 200 300 you know you might as well do one and get the most value and that might be equivalent of doing 200 influencers in one go so don't compare to what other brands are doing with social media influencers like do it yourself and think of it like real people that you are connecting to as a founder as a business owner or whatever and nurture that relationship don't just force it is that like a spokesperson for your brand right so yeah that's pretty much (laughs) they are and and you want them to advocate your messages as true as possible Totally. And be informed and educated and like, as yeah. you said, to be able to speak to it effectively and, and accurately. Yeah, I mean, that's a great tip. I think uh, that'd be really, really interesting for our listeners to hear because I think that's it can probably feel like that, that pressure of being a startup business. Oh my gosh, I have to have X number of people speaking about our brands. But if they're quality over quantity, I guess, is uh, probably... Exactly. <laughs> So from the interviews that we've had with executives at the North Face or Marks and Spencer or Hill House Home, our guests have consistently discussed the importance of supply chain relationships within apparel. And I'd love for you guys to kind of help fill the gap here and give us some insight from a beauty perspective and angle. Like what are the most important factors considering when looking at your partners and and, yeah. and supply relationships generally I guess so I'm um, from day one I think Nikki uh, alongside me have always believed in this conscious capitalist approach of you know mm-hmm. you want to bring everyone up with you whether it's your team your your, your any anyone that works who's tethered to your business um suppliers as you said your stakeholders all this stuff your purpose especially has to have the same values and have to bring everyone with you so I think when you're working with suppliers, it's quite difficult, but see first if they have the same mission values. You know, it sounds odd, but jump on a phone before a hardcore email and get to know, you know, are they aligned to the mission? Do they say things that love that story? Obviously, they want to get to the core crunks of, okay, you need to make business deals. But it's nice to make a personal connection, let them buy into that story, because that is something so important. Secondly, like if you are of someone like us, you know, with the South Asian heritage and you have a mission behind it, Mm -hmm. you know, that whole Currently, there's a whole that appropriation of appreciation. I think a lot of brands right now that have a clear heritage and and, and that kind of side of things, they sh- they are trying to work more with suppliers that are supporting that system. So there's a flow of giving back. So we are definitely, you know, with Fable and Maine, committed to work more and more closely with you know, suppliers within India or, or Indian, you know, our lab in America, for example, are of Indian heritage. And I think this is so important for us to 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 have that holistic 360 with everything. 
So I think that would be my best advice for anyone looking for good partner suppliers is before anything, there's a lot of steps, but just get on a call and connect, yeah. connect, yeah. connect, connect. Totally. And when you have that relationship, you know, you can lean on that relationship, right? In good times and bad. And if the supplier is like, look, look I, you know, I need to, like, I have so many clients that are, you just say, pause. Can I just tell you my story? Yeah. You know, and then continue that journey. But at least you've said it. And that's so important. Totally. And, and, and I guess this is a really important question, but clean beauty is, is, you know, kind of a phenomenon that we've heard over a number of years. But I guess there's also that concept of being a clean beauty brand with ethics, but then also balancing the commerciality elements. And what would your tips be, you know, when considering both of those? It's really hard to balance commerciality sometimes because clean beauty ingredients are expensive. And that's why, you know, some of the most natural oils and everything out there has a high price point. But you just have to know from the beginning, like I would say, if if you're a startup, like know your margins, know your budget, what your core ingredients are, what you want at active levels. And I guess your benchmarks are of success in your, in your arena, but always like be very consistent with your your internal clean promise doesn't matter what the retailer says like for example clean at sephora is not silicone free it's not 100% vegan but that's something sure. we have as our motto and and paraben free sulfate free yeah. so you can go a step um, further we, yeah we always try to what's what's important to you and know that and stick by that and always even challenge the retailer too and, and notice it's a journey you know like as time goes on hopefully suppliers will get scaled and and you know uh, certain more recycled supply you know yeah. uh, products or ingredients will become in the market more readily and will be cheaper to buy so exactly. you can even go there over time or start there with the intention that you'll get a cheaper price over time and it's not just your product like it's your packaging is it sustainable yeah. even whole, the whole supply chain but shipping shipping is it local locally sourced because even that's what you know when we say like we want to source in india everything we've got to count count the fact that our labs are in usa and you know that carbon print of sending a ton of x could be opportunity cost right so it's it's a journey but i think the best way brands can do this journey is being transparent with their consumers and you know admit that you know we're learning we're growing but as long as you can see what we're doing that's the best and if even if you're initially like if you focus on the quality you will scale because consumers will come back and buy it and they'll love it so even if you forgo a few years of you know if making the most best profit, it's okay because you're, you're building a brand. It's not about making money from day one. And, and I will put a spanner in the work as well. I think like it's so important for companies to hire a clean CFO. And what I mean by this is, it's a very weird yeah. term, but I feel like CFOs are often hired with the intention of, I only care about my P&L, my budget, mm-hmm. my, my margin, great. that's it. And we're very fortunate to have a CFO who actually understands that. And he's so flexible, but still stern and harsh when needed to be. <laughs> I think, you know, I don't have to question and, you know, I don't have to say to him, but, you know, we need to get the supply because it's all that. He, he, he kind of already says it. And I think it's good to know that he's on the same level field of the vision because sometimes CFOs can be a bit segmented in a company or the finance team can be like, I only see numbers. That's all I need. Totally. That makes so much sense, right? It's like, again, building a team around you that is aligned to your mission, what you guys stand for. And as yeah. you said, like making a stand for what does your clean beauty mean for you? As you said, like there isn't a one definition is there for sustainability, clean beauty, whatever it is, whatever term you want to apply and having your view of that and, and continuing to be consistent against that is, is great advice, I would say. 
So I guess another thing I wanted to ask about you about is obviously over the past year, more brands have been more vocal on, you know, racial injustices, you know, a variety of different topics around diversity and inclusion. And we know that philanthropy is a huge part of Fable and Maine brand identity. And I know that you guys are UNICEF global citizens. You really are all about giving back. So could you guys give insight into how brands can stay accountable and proactive every single day? Definitely. I I think like having a mission beyond just formulating, you know, responsible products or creating FMCG goods or whatever it is, services, Is so important because it keeps you motivated. It keeps you, you become the beneficiary, you know, by doing good, you feel good. And I think it's so selfishly, I think it's one of the most important things, the business for myself and for my own ego and for my yeah. own, because it's, it keeps me power to do what I'm doing. And there's a mission beyond just, if something goes wrong with the product, mm-hmm. I need to make, you know, bigger awareness on something. I would say, I always tell companies, especially startups that come to me for advice, like try not to think of it as CSR, think of it as CSI. So what that means is it's not a responsibility, it's your intention. It's really about you. I don't want it to feel like it's someone's must, but it should be if you organically, authentically believe in a cause, you should put all your intentions to that and make it happen. No one's telling you to do it, but I think you have to go in it with your own mission because what we've noticed with our Fable Fund, where we're committed to helping tigers in the wild and, you know, conservation with wildlife, we don't often, you know, we don't put it everywhere on the products. We don't yeah. put it out there in our marketing every single day. And not many people even congratulate or tell us much about it, but mm-hmm. we're still doing every day a lot of stuff on it because we're doing it for the mission, not to sell products, not because it's our corporate responsibility to do it. And I think that really is so important for businesses to, to, to do. And I, feel so passionate about that because they've been in corporate companies where they mm-hmm. pay catch up or they do it on a marketing that what can we do to give back you know and one company I worked for we did such a big initiative and then no one followed up with it and I was like what happened with that why have we bothered if you- <laughs> like do we even give the money do we even like you know and that's why I felt like these are just boardroom decisions and not really intentional heartfelt decisions so yeah and tell us more about the Fable and Main Fund and, and why you've chosen, you know, the causes that you have. Fable Fund basically is committed to helping wild tigers around the world. And the reason why we did this, so it's our logo of our products and packaging, but it's just more, it's more than a logo. It's really everything we breathe and stand for. And the reason why is the tiger is known to be the most magnificent regal creature, animal of India. And I think for us, from a childhood, we've always been enthralled by this, but also from my grandma's stories, you know, the tiger was a prominent figure in those story time. Mm. It's a, we, the reason why we were even more committed to really working with tigers is because we learned during our journey that there were 100,000 tigers in the wild, now they're less than 4,000. And there are more tigers in the backyards of people's homes in Texas. Oh than my gosh. So for us, it's like the numbers are, you know, fortunately, some good news, the numbers are increasing, but... Mm the human wildlife conflict on the ground is is growing yeah. and we need to do something and, about and lack it. of space I mean, so yeah. you know we're, we're committed to helping tigers but also big cats around the world so from our recent trips in namibia inspired by the cheetahs so we're on this mission we've already started the journey we've donated hundred thousand dollars to local charities we've done built solar fresh panel water holds for the tigers during drought seasons 
We've given 200 ranger packs to, you know, the essential equipment that need the rangers to do their job against anti, you know, against poachings. And we've also worked with education vans to basically go around local schools and uh, educate children how to live in harmony and bring them to the forest and learn about tigers and, and why they're not a threat. And I think this is where we're lucky to work with local grassroots organizations and see the work with our own eyes and know where it's going, as opposed to work with a big, big company that we wouldn't have that visibility. I guess that was a really interesting conversation and and, and love to hear more about it. But I feel Mm. like, you know, do you guys think we're now in a new wave of South Asian beauty adoption? And if not, what needs to happen? Like, what are you, what's your guys' point of view on that? hundred percent. I mean, I, we so were just brands. in a lot of, um, with AAPI month yeah. currently in America, we were in a lot of like clubhouses and live streams and podcasts yeah. and everything with incredible South Asian founders. And we actually got to meet a lot more up and coming beauty brands, um, but also established brands that are getting a moment and finally getting the recognition that they need from the South Asian kind of descent, but also, also some visibility on brands that are South Asian that we didn't even know, you know? So yeah. it's very interesting how we're very proud to be part of that family of, you know, Indian beauty kind of coming to the market. Just as we also feel like K-beauty is rising more and J-beauty is rising more. These are, and there's a lot more beauties that we need to get recognition. And I think this is where, from an Asian perspective, we're really proud to be on that journey. And from your guys' perspective, through that process, are there any other Asian beauty brands that you think that our audience should know about? My personal favorite brand, just because I love the founders, is Sarah and Christine. They own a brand called uh, Glow Recipe, which I, I think it's one of the it's one of the like largest skincare brands right now. Definitely having a huge moment thanks to TikTok. They focus on incredible skincare that's built with like kind of science. So you have the acids and the BHA and the AHA, et cetera. But yeah. you have incredible fruits and vegetables, like ingredients like avocado, papaya, beautiful packaging, incredible formulas. And they will, they just have the most incredible journey from starting on Shark Tank, which is like Dragon's Den yeah, yeah. seven years ago, both left their jobs in L'Oreal and the corporate job. So to then start their business together, it's such a story that resonates with me because I was in that corporate job. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, we like LinkedIn, we did the hard way to get the retailers and then working with my sister, they're working with as best friends. It's, it's a very similar story. So, and they're very, um, they're a lot bigger, but they're very supportive of us and helping us and bringing us on that journey. So very, very happy with them. I love the name Met You, just from a branding point of view, uh, which is rooted in in Jong in in Korea. And I love Kofi Beauty, which is, I love the branding and I love Touch Up. I love what they do with Japanese beauty and rituals. I think they're the pinnacle of rituals and what beauty should be. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've got some researching to be doing myself <laughs> following this. But guys, one thing we always ask our guests is, is what is the one thing that you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? And because there's two of you, I'm going to ask both of you. So Akash, start with you. What would you like our listeners to take away? I think my biggest thing I would love for you to take away is sort of know your why and with when you're, you know, with, if you're a business owner, particularly, or with anything you're doing in your company, corporation, make sure all your stakeholders and your team and your purpose, that conscious capitalist mm-hmm. approach fits to the, that why that you've created and tethers to that. That's your solar system. That's your sun and make sure it's all going around it cohesively. If something is not aligning, get it out and bring it <laughs> because that's what's going to keep it intact and last for a long time. 
And Nikki, how about you? What are your thoughts? I would say just curated for, for edited. Know your exactly your purpose and then like find the right retail partner to make mm-hmm. it come true. Totally. And I think you guys have had a fantastic experience, right, already with your retail partners. So I'm sure there's a lot that our listeners can take away from this episode. And thank you so much. As a listener of ours, we're here to support you throughout 2021. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all of our listeners, ensure you are subscribed to our insider briefing. You can sign up at edited.com, where we'll be keeping you all updated on the latest news and strategies. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation with Akash and Nikki, please make sure you are subscribed to keep in the loop with future episodes. And we'd love it if you could tell your friends and family about us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Goodbye.